The Bookfinger podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and dirty drafts. Nalini Singh joins us for episode 57, recorded in Sydney. Bookfinger would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Australia's Indigenous people to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo Podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance. Kill a fairy fast on the Book Thingo Podcast. Welcome back to the Book Thingo Podcast. I'm Kat Mayo from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. Nalini Singh is one of the Book Thingo bloggers' favourite authors. Full stop. But not just because she's a phenomenal writer, although she is. She's also genuinely the kindest person you'll ever meet and has the uncanny ability to put fangirling readers at ease. Last month, I caught up with her to talk about her amazingly popular Sign Changeling series, which just won the Ara Award for Favourite Continuing Romance Series, as well as her Guild Hunter and Rock Hard books. You can find information on the titles and authors we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 57. We actually recorded a podcast interview back in 2014 yeah, for Destiny. Ago. Yeah. Um, Destiny has not survived. <laughs> yeah. That podcast has not survived, but you have definitely <laughs> and flourished. And you too. <laughs> so you're in Australia for the Sydney Author Event. Mm-hmm. After all this time, and with our love for you and your books, can we consider you an honorary Australian? <laughs> you know, if I said you could, they'd take away my New Zealand passport. And, you know, I wouldn't even be able to get back into my own country. So So you've built up an amazing body of work over the last 15 years or so. So I know that you started with Mills and Boom, but it was really slave to sensation where things really picked up. And there was a time when if I were to um, recommend paranormal romance, it would be like this one. It was funny because I remember at Galaxy, I was talking to one of the guys who was working behind the counter and they were also talking about your book. So it was really great. But I wanted to ask you, how has writing changed for you since then? From the very start, there's been obviously a big change because when I started, I was a very young writer as well and really in awe of everything, you know. And But even then, I I did, you know, I got revision requests. So the book I sold, um, I sold it after a revised there was this a revision quest. Live to Sensation? No, this is my very first book, Desert Warrior. Oh, okay. Yes. Silhouette Desire. But even back then, I remember getting the revision letter. And so I was unpublished. But I still wrote back to the editor and said, I totally get all the stuff you said to do. It's amazing. But this one thing, I don't want to change. Because it's my voice. So that was a really good experience for me. To both, to stand my ground with my work and my voice Um was that hard at the time? It was hard because obviously, you know, when you, when I hadn't published anything, and back then, remember, this is um, in 2003, I think, so there's no self-publishing or anything. And especially from being based in New Zealand, getting publishers to even look at your work. And so Harlequin was one of the few that was actually looking at work from Australia and New Zealand. But I, even back then, part of me understood that it's so critical to protect the voice. And so I think that has only developed more strongly in me. I'm whenever I talk to younger writers I always say, you know, don't let someone t- 
take away your voice and make it very generic. And I don't mean just editors. I mean uh, a lot of people use beta readers or they have critique partners and you know people want to be helpful but sometimes there's a level of helpfulness that takes away that uniqueness the that is you. Yes, writing, the yeah. edge of your writing. So that's something that I always had, but it's become more strong, I think, and that protectiveness of the voice. But at the same time, I've never, I've always understood that editorial feedback is really important. And I always take it on board. I never think whatever I've put together is the best, you know, that it cannot be improved. It, I know, you know, I've got really great people around me. In the end, it's my call because, again, it's my story and I'm putting it out. But I'm very open to listening to ideas that will make it stronger. Is that something that you always had as a writer? Because I know some writers who are very sensitive to criticism. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it just like affects them and it can block them if they get too much. I think I've always kind of had it. My personality is I can see I've always been sort of... um, I can see both sides of the situation, which is part of why I went into law. And I think having that kind of mentality um, makes it easier to take criticism on board because you know it's never going to be perfection. For someone who can see both sides, does that make it hard when you have to make decisions as an author in terms of your plot, your characters, like which way does this character go? No, actually not because characters are different. Characters are not um, abstract, right? It's a character as a person who has their own personality for me it's like what would this person with this personality do so it's not me anymore when it's a character it's it's them I'm in their head and I'm doing what they would do so for example I'm just going to use Caleb as an example because a lot of people really love Caleb as a character but Caleb is a gray character you know he's he's always going to walk in the gray and to be honest to him that's how he has to be written even I wrote a short story for my newsletter and it was um you know he meets a child who's named after him and Everybody kind of, I think, expected, you know, he's holding the baby and stuff. But Caleb's never going to hold the baby, you know. That would just not be true to who he is. And so, yeah, yeah. So for me, once it's in character, it's the character leading. So that's interesting because I think what makes the side... So the side changing series is quite a long series. Yes. It's it's about 19 books, not including the novellas. But it's one of these series where I'm amazed that I can still read, like, book 13... And be invested in the series because oh, <laughs> it's usually usually you reach a peak and then a trough. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but I think maybe that's because the characters are very distinct, and yes. I never feel like I'm reading the same book over and over again. So when you start a book in a long running series, how do you form the characters? Like, how much of the character do you need to know before you can start the book? Um, so I'm one one of those writers who doesn't do a lot of planning for each book, right? But oh gosh. <laughs> I know it sounds insane. But what what I do plan for is I plan for the series, and I don't mean sit down write it all down. It's a lot of it is in my head. But the one thing I do when I start a series is I sit there and I think, where am I going? Where am I taking readers? And like the first season of the Side Changeling series, you can see it. There's an arc, and that's because I planned it from you know, this is where we're going. So you had a plan for the external plot, let's say, yeah, the series. Yeah. Did you know which characters would... Okay. No, but what happens is once you have that external plot, what happens in my brain, at least, is that the right characters fall into place because the whole time my brain, because it knows where it's going, it's working on it. When I was writing Visions of Heat, which is book two, I made note for Caleb's Caleb's book, which is book 12. So I had the first scene in Caleb's book... A large part of it was written when I was writing Visions of Heat. So that's kind of the interplay. You know, because I know where I'm going, 
these characters turn up and they're like, oh, this is my book. But to get to know the characters, because I don't do the plotting thing where I'm doing character interviews, things like that, that doesn't work for me. So I tried that as a younger writer, you know, because that's what you do as a younger writer. That's the, to some find. of the methods yeah, that yeah. people Try all the recommend. methods. And what I found was I actually have to tell myself the story. I just do a very fast draft, or some people call it a dirty draft. And that's me telling myself the story and getting to know the characters. So... I would never show that draft to anyone. It's just really not, you know, no one else should read it or would even understand it. But by the end of it, usually, I know the characters. So it's your process of working It's it my out. process. That's how I learn them. So the first revision after that first draft, mm-hmm. is that a really big That one, job? actually, no. What I do is I do quite a rough second draft as well because what I'm doing is putting all the pieces in the right place kind of taking the edges off, kind of figuring out, oh yeah, scenes go in this kind of order. Because sometimes I write out of order, so I have to put them back. And then I print it out, and I do a massive rewrite on the printer. On hard copy. On hard copy. And I used to enter that all myself, and it took me like a oh week to do a book. But now I have a Shreeni, <laughs> who, who is uh, wonderful, and so I do like a day's worth, and then I pass it on to her, and she enters it. So by the time I finish, the next draft is ready for me to work on again. So there's no sort of lag time now. I don't lose that week. Entry. So is that system because of the way your brain absorbs information yeah. through paper versus... Digital? Yeah, I just find that I find I get a lot more depth when I... Um, handwrite things um, on a draft so I need kind of all parts of the process but I find that if I'm just working on the computer my brain kind of skips loses track yeah and it doesn't seem to go into that really muscular kind of characterization and plotting and even language that that I need to do you know for my book so my first and second say my second draft that I print out is usually quite a bit shorter than what the close to final draft looks like because I put in a lot during that handwritten phase. And then I do another draft, usually. This is before it even gets to editing. No, yeah. I do multiple drafts because, um, look, so I know Mel Jean Brooke, right? So her process is she kind of is very precise and and I think she plans. And so she's finished by the time she gets to them because she's been editing the whole way through. Whereas me, I do full, you know, redrafts. So that final draft is again on the computer, so I've done all the handwriting and and I just go in and really just flesh everything out, make sure there's no inconsistencies. You know, some books, it's done then. Other books, it's going to need another draft, so it really depends. So how does that work out if you are now on a publishing schedule? Mm-hmm. Because once you go into the, these kinds of long-running series, usually the publisher will plan yeah. around the massive like <laughs> work required to get you there and I don't just mean that negatively like as in work work no. but actual like all the build-up and all the reader expectations yeah I mean like uh, Ocean Light which is coming out in June I mean I think that was on pre-order in like September or something and I was still writing I the book really, as soon as people know the title they basically are looking for it in, on Amazon right yeah so um the good thing is after this many years of writing I have a fairly good idea of how long it takes me to do things. Of course, life is not perfect. So <laughs> so sometimes, you know, if there is going to be a delay, I'll just let my editor know in advance. But um, in general, as long as the delay is not huge, like if it's a few weeks, they can usually... it's it's Yeah, there's enough of a buffer that they can accommodate it. But I generally try to stick to my deadlines as much as possible because it's a domino effect. 
if I'm late on one. Yeah. So the, the length of time it takes you to write mm-hmm. a novel, is it the same across all your series? No, no. Some take longer and certain books take longer. The Sai Changeling series, because it's so long, I think with the last book, not so much this, this season because, um, you know, we're getting new characters and stuff, but the previous books at the end of this... There are a lot of characters to keep there's track a, of. There's a lot of things to keep track of. So the continuity checks like took almost a week, you know, just that alone and making sure the continuity was correct because a big part of, um, I think, why the series is popular is because the continuity is maintained and we I take great care to try and, you know, not mess up. But obviously that takes time. And with but the, the writing itself, is it about the same for each, even in contemporary versus uh, paranormal? I think it really depends. It's more a book to book thing right. versus a. And how well you understand yeah, the characters. Yeah, like for example, when I wrote Shards of Hope, the heroine Zara was really, really difficult to get to know because she's so contained, you know, she trusts no one. So it took me like a really long first draft to get to know her. Like, okay, I can actually write your story now because. I'm, I'm at you a point where I know, yeah. Whereas I wrote Silver Silence and I knew Silver already. She's been in the series. And then Valentin, he's such an open character, you know, he's all out there. He's a bear, you know, and it was just, it's like, yeah, yeah, just go for it, you know. So, um, and then with the contemporaries, it's, um, some are really breezy and quick. And then there's other ones like Rock Redemption was a really intense book. And again, I had to get into them and, and be able to tell the story. And is there a certain sort of care that you need to take with characters who have gone through trauma? Because I know that there are readers who might have gone through similar. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important to, first of all, do the research. So um, I'm really careful about pushing into people's private space. So I won't ever sort of say to someone, please talk to me about you or this terrible thing that happened to you because that's none of my business and why should they, why should they open up to me like that? But at the same time, there are lots of things online which are open where people have chosen to share information and you're welcome to go along and read their blogs or, you know, even they have open message boards and things. So I will go and where I am invited, you know, and I will talk to people and um, I'll listen to them. And so that's really important when you're, especially if you're writing like childhood abuse or, you know, abuse of any kind, you have to be really careful. That you're not harming the yes, people. Yes, you're not you're harming, you know. But getting your information. Exactly. Right. It has to be a realistic portrayal. But at the same time, you don't have to, um, I guess when it comes to milking, you know, what you said, that's when you, I think, when you go into the description so much of the harm as opposed to who the character is. You're making them the harm rather than who they are yeah. now. Seeing them just as a victim instead of a a rounded person. Exactly. So you have to create the whole character and that's that's what's important to me. Do you get emotionally involved? Oh God, yes, yes. Oh (laughs) "Oh God, no, I was like, I am so involved. I was talking on Twitter today actually about um, how I like bawled my eyes out writing some scenes because it's so hard. I love these characters. That's why I'm writing about them, right? The people I want to get this happy ever after. And when they're they're in pain, I'm in pain. And I think, I actually think that makes me a better writer because I do get so emotionally involved, you know. And it's hard. When I first started, I didn't want to do anything bad to my characters. Yeah. <laughs> my books were over by chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, conflict resolved. That's right. Happy ever after. Do you have an affinity more with your heroines or your heroes or it, or it depends? Uh, it really depends. It depends on the characters and... I actually tend to usually know both really, really well because I have to. Because then what happens when they're in conflict with each other? Like, do you take sides? Like, or are you always in the head of this scene that you're in? Yeah, I'm always just in whoever's point of view it is and getting their, 
emotion across. And sometimes, um, and this is a tip for any writers who are listening, sometimes there's a problem with a scene. It's because it's in the wrong character's point of view. So I'll quite often flip it. Okay, now it works. And see because, if it yeah, gets better. Because there's always going to be one character. I read this somewhere, I heard it in a workshop, and it's one character always has more to lose in any fight. And it doesn't mean like a loss is in a loss-loss, but that the, bal- the scales are not always evenly balanced, you know? And so if you can get up in the head of the, that character... They've got there's they're more involved, you know, the, this higher stakes. But yeah, no, I don't take sides. I just again, when it's a character, it's a character. You know, they run the show, and all I have to remember is to be to be in their head and 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 to be faithful. Yes, to, them. to be faithful to them, even though they might make choices which I totally disagree with. <laughs> but I mean, imagine if I wrote every character that yeah. I agreed with, it would just be very monotonous. Well, and I think that's the strength of your series and why they can continue for so long and still be interesting. And also, I think that makes your heroes stronger as well because they don't start sounding like the heroines towards the end. Like I've read some books where it's very alpha hero in the beginning. But, you know, part of the alpha hero trope is resolving his sort of power dominance at the end. Um, And I think there's a fine line between doing that and making him sort of sound so different that Mm. you can't 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 recognise him. I think it helps that when it's a series because there's a much longer arc for all the characters. For example, Lucas, you know, he's still going to be alpha throughout. He's literally the alpha of the pack. So he's going to be alpha throughout the series. So you get... As a series writer, I love being able to develop, explore the development. So if with Lucas, we've seen him you know, fall in love and then become a father. And now he's teaching his, his um, cub how to become uh, you know, a panther. So I love having that much longer arc. And I think it just makes it so interesting when you write a series where you've got all these characters continuing to develop. But also you can reintroduce old characters in an organic way. Mm. It's sort of not forced. I think the, the thing with the with long-running series, both of my series, but particularly with the side changing series, because the Guild Hunter series has a core cast, you know, so a lot of people are always going to win the books. But the side changing series had such a like massive... a community. It's huge. So I literally, I cannot... Sometimes people write to me going, oh, my favourite character hasn't appeared in four books. And I'm like, well, <laughs> they haven't had a part to play in, you know, in these stories. I have to be very, very aware. And, and I totally have fallen foul of this, which is trying to put characters in just because I want them in but usually I take them out and edit because I'm like oh, actually I'm just putting them in for <laughs> no reason <laughs> in our previous conversation you mentioned that you keep a sort of wiki or series continuity thing yeah is there any and you I think you mentioned that one day you might think about making that public um so what happened was so Ashwini put that all together she did heaps and heaps and heaps work and then I never actually looked at it because, oh, okay. because I actually hate interrupting the flow of my writing to go online in any way, even in like a, it was a private wiki, right? So no one else could do it but me, but I still had to open another program to use it. And and I'm very linear when I write. I'm just like, all in I need zone. is a word, you know, I just in the zone. So it's all gone back to print. So she has to update now my brief folders. <laughs> would you ever release that while the series is still going? No. Because, because you'd, still, you'd have stuff that people aren't supposed to know. Yes. Um, as long as the series is going, you couldn't actually have like a full world Bible or anything because there's going to be constant change. 
So it would have to be something that was updated all the time, which would take a lot of time yeah. as well. Yeah, I guess you could have one for like season one and then season two, but, but again, they bleed together, right? They bleed together, and also it's a major time effort because obviously I could hire someone else to do it, but I'm such I am so tied to my series, and I'm so you'd want to review it. I anyway, wouldn't right? want to review everything, and I would just lose <laughs> so much time. So yeah, you need to take a break from writing just to do <laughs> yeah. the um, the wiki. So I know readers of long-running series. Um, there are some readers who will read every book as soon yeah. as they come out. There are some readers who will just never have enough time to be like that current yeah. series. And I know some readers, i.e. me, who hoard books yeah. for like a special occasion and then read like five at a time. So for readers like those, can you catch us up on where we're up to in the side changes? Because I know season one finished and mm-hmm. now we, we, we're we in um, side change in Trinity. Yeah. So I'm going to just spoiler the first season, right? So you guys, spoiler warning, spoiler warning, turn it <laughs> off for the next five minutes if you don't want to be spoiled. But um, so season one, so when we started, book one was um, silence was in effect. At the end of season one, silence has fallen. And so now we're in a state where Sai are allowed to feel emotion. But you have to remember these are people for a hundred years, they haven't been allowed. And so it's not going to be some easy transition. They've got a lot of problems. Um, There's psychological problems. There's problems with factions who don't agree because they think actually silence was was better. The old way was better, you know. It's it's like a political schism, you know, in in any society that can happen. You're going to have sides. No one is ever going to totally agree. And so, and they've also got issues, and they have found at the end of the first season, they found that part of the reason for the problems with the Sinet, the current problems, is that there's no human energy in the Sinet because previously, Sai were mated to humans. And so, even though humans are not psychic, their energy was still coming through into the network. And so now they've got this problem where humans hate Sai. They're never going to get together with Sai. Sai desperately need the humans now who have always been considered. So it's a bit of a. A change in the power yes, dynamic. Yes, it's a change in the power dynamic. So that's one thing. And then with the changelings, they're also having to change the way they are because they're very insular, but the world is changing and they know, you know, they have to be part of Trinity and it's important. And and also, um, we're starting to get to know other groups. We got to know the bears in Silver Silence, which was really fun. And then in Ocean Light, we get to go under the ocean you know, and get to know the sea changelings. And this one is interesting because the sea changelings are very isolated. They have their reasons for that, that you find out in the book. And where we leave the wolves and the leopards, the sea changelings are nowhere near that level. Yeah, it's you know? totally different environment. It's a totally different environment. So, um, so I guess if you're starting with the Sea Changing Trinity series, what you need to know is you're starting into a world that's really in flux. Um, it's not settled at all. The pieces from the fall of silence are still settling. scattered about. Yeah. yeah, they're scattered about, and a lot of the world has no idea how to take it. A lot of people don't trust that it has actually fallen, and then there's the people who, you know, really want to build relationships, and then there's the people who would want to destroy, destroy it all, and go back to the old way. Yeah, because um, towards the end of the first season the animosity between groups had built up so much yes. that you're not going to resolve that with no. one, one sort of revelation. No. Or... Yeah. Is it possible to read the Trinity series without reading the first season? Yeah, a lot of people, I think, picked up Silver Silence as, as their first ever book, and that's actually a perfectly fine book to jump into because we're with a whole new changeling group, which is the Bears. So yeah. it's almost like Slave to Sensation 
introducing us to the leopards. Silver Silence introduces us to the bears. Even though Silver is a continuing character, we've only ever seen her through other people's eyes. And so she's been in the background. Yes, yeah, she's been in the background, you know. And so in this book, this is her book, and you get into head and you get into her family. So everything's explained. I don't think you'd be um, lost okay. at all. Yeah. So Ocean Light is coming out June. Yeah. Is there anything you can share with us about that book? Mm. Are we going to meet new types of changelings? Yes, you will meet new types of changelings. There's actually a re- excerpt up on my website. It talks about tentacle screen privileges. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> um, it was really fun, actually. And a lot did of did you this... learn any interesting mating habits of sea creatures? I, I did had quite I a did. few. I did. I did. You'll have to wait and see oh. how. <laughs> Google is your what friend. I was gonna, I was Google is your friend. I will tell you one thing though. A lot of the story actually takes place under the ocean, as opposed okay. to on the ocean. So. Do we get any glow-in-the-dark action? Glow-in-the-dark. <laughs> well, actually, what? It, yes, yes, there's mention because, you see, deep in the ocean, a lot of things glow. Yes, see, did, so now I think I've, like, got a strategy for, like, influencing your series. Because you're such uh, an organic writer and someone who relies on her instinct, I'm just going to, like, pepper you with things that I want to see in future books so that they go into your subconscious <laughs> and then they come out at the right time. <laughs> Five years later, Kat will be like, yes! Yes, I remember that conversation. Um, But the side changeling isn't your only series, right? Mm -hmm. So you are juggling quite a few balls. So do you want to tell us a little bit about each of the others? So right now, I'm writing the next book in the Guild Hunter series, which is very different from the side changeling series. I I tend to think of the side changeling series as very family-focused. You know, it's it's a lot about families of different kinds. You know, there's the pack. And then there's the community and community and and I, it has a warmer heart yeah. as a series. Whereas the Guild Hunter series is a darker series. It does actually have a family at the core because this is a world ruled by archangels. You know they make vampires who are actually lower down in the pecking order. And then there's humans. And then there's Guild Hunters who capture vampires who want to sort of run out on their deal with the angels because if you become a vampire, you sign up to serve for a hundred years. And so. As you can kind of imagine with that Much setup, sharper, it's a it's yeah. a darker series, you know, there's there's blood and there's gore and bad things happen. Um, but at the heart of it it is actually a very romantic series as well because it's about a mortal falling in love with an archangel and then becoming, you know, an angel herself. But it doesn't fix all their problems. That's the beauty of the series. It's like, okay, now I'm now in this. <laughs> now I'm in this immortal world yeah. where everyone thinks I'm like a bug because I am so weak. Yeah. And I'm with this thousand five hundred year old immortal. And part of the reason I started writing this series was, I was really sick of seeing immortals portrayed as normal humans that they would act like us. And I thought, no, they wouldn't. They've seen millions of humans die. What do they care? Yeah. One more human. Ah. There'll be another one. It's like a uh, sort of long-term PTSD yes, for humanity. Yeah, it's like it's like they don't, you know, they, there's no sort of connection there anymore because they just don't have time. Like yeah. in their version of time, we come and go before we're even noticed, you know. And so there's that darkness at the heart of it because what happens if you become immortal? Your parents aren't immortal. Yeah, that's your right. children it's aren't immortal. Yeah, your friends aren't immortal. So it explores all those issues as well and it but it's still I do love writing families so there is still a very core group 
in there that we get to know and go through all the adventures and the changes in the world. So that one, do you know how the series arc will go? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's really important to know always the series yeah. arc. It's a slightly different series arc, and sometimes I try and explain it to people and it doesn't come across right like but please trust me i know what i'm doing it's it's more based on the character as opposed to an external plot arc it's more where these characters so you're are developing the characters yes, rather than where the world. they're going right. because when i started writing the guild hunters it was actually meant to be a standalone but as soon as i got to the end i know it wasn't done Your brain was like, <laughs> like no yeah. we do not do standalones because, because you get to the end well exactly what do i do now yeah i've got wings but what do i do now so it's it's the characterization i mean there is an external plot but a lot of it has to do with those characters and and how their love story is going to work because um this is just for those who are unfamiliar with this series it's about one couple like many of the books are about one couple there are books in between that are about different members of the group but, but the focus the, really yeah is... the heart of it is elena and Raphael, yeah. and how they'll work in the long term and I love exploring that because I think, you know, there are such, like we said, there's heartbreak, but there's also these joys. It's like, oh, I get to really spend so much time with you. I get to spend eternity with you. And it's not something that we usually explore in romance. No. People who have had their, I don't want to say nominal happy ending, but that happy ending point that we yeah. would normally close the book on. It's very rare that we spend time with them after that yes. and try to work out the problems that come up. Even yeah. though you're together yeah. already and you know that you love each other. Yeah. Right? And I think one of the things I really wanted to do um, in the series is I didn't want to have um, artificial conflict by breaking them up. <laughs> that would have been easy, right? Oh, break yeah. them up, put them back together. But, you know, that's also, it's it's kind of a cop-out to me because what I wanted to do was explore this relationship. Yeah. And in a relationship, they're going to butt heads, but they still love each other, so they're going to still, you know, work through it. And, and I just... I just have so much fun with these two and um yeah they drive me a little crazy sometimes <laughs> but it's great i i really enjoy it yeah so the next book in that series does it have a title yet yeah it's archangel's prophecy it's out october 28th i think and then i write um the contemporary series as well so rock is that has spun off yeah to, yes uh cherish cherish hard so oh. the hard play series right so all the contemporaries are really written to stand alone but like for example Which means, uh, different couple each time. yeah there's a no different couple real sort of series no it's i mean they're connected by the characters so my first series was rock kiss which was you know band members you know yeah. in a band and then we had the one outlier who it just worked out that i just wrote that book okay <laughs> so um if you read them in order you know obviously you get the the relationships maybe a little bit better but if you picked up any random book in there, you'd be fine. The whole story is in there. Um, and then Cherish Hard is the brother from Rock Hard. So it's spun off into the Hard Play series. Okay, so do you know how many books there will be in that one? Two more brothers to go. And that was supposed to be it. But then... <laughs> it's um, like heroin relationships too, right? I got distracted again. <laughs> so I'm writing a spin-off right now and it's actually really fun. I'm writing about... Um, so hang on, this spin-off has just started and you're already writing another spin-off. Yeah, but I'm just going to add it to the okay, Hard Play right. series and we're just going to pretend that they were originally part of the <laughs> series. Because she's best friends with the heroine. It's the same thing that got yeah, me yeah. to write Rock Hard. No, no, I find it completely acceptable. <laughs> I just have to think of a new title, which, but yeah, it's fun. I'm I'm writing about two characters who were secondary characters in the first book, and it's a heroine who 
she's Indian and she's decided because of things you know that you find out about she's decided she's going to have an arranged marriage she's agreed to this and then she kind of goes out one night because she's like okay I'm never going to get to do any crazy stuff because I've you know I've agreed to this plan for my life and she's like I'm going to be crazy tonight she goes to this party she makes out with this this total hunk as you do <laughs> and then um something terrible happens dark moment people and she runs away and then she kind of goes through this epiphany and she realizes well actually I don't actually want to have an arranged marriage kind of thing but I have to tell my parents but before she can tell her parents they've arranged another meeting for her with the prospective groom oh no I think I know where this is going (laughs) yeah and she's like oh my god what do I do and she has a hype out then she's like no no I'll just pretend like I don't know he's there's something really wrong with him. That's why I can't accept him. And of course, you know who's going to walk into the room, right? But also, I love that she's going to pretend something's wrong with him, yeah. not with her. <laughs> Nothing's wrong with me. Yeah. Great catch. So, and then it becomes like, well, I've decided to sort of fight against this cultural thing and I'm not going to get up into age marriage. And oh my God, I'm so deeply attracted to this guy. Um, so it's a really fun book, but obviously I'm Indian as well. So there's a lot of cultural elements in there that that are really fun to play with for me because it's always the same. You know, if you write a book about your own culture, you can make fun of things that no one else is ever allowed to make fun of. (laughs) So, and I got the idea for this book actually a long time ago when some younger members of my family actually asked for arranged marriages. And I was really surprised because they'd been brought up in in a Western way, in a Western country, and but they still felt that their elders would make the best choice for them. I found that so unusual and I was always thinking about it and so there's a little bit of exploration of that in this book but you know at the heart of it is a romance because that's what I write and well I I love it because you know we often read regencies with arranged marriages and marriages of convenience so I'm Filipino so I was talking to another a Filipino author and we were saying, you know, there's so many Regency tropes that you can apply to contemporary romance exactly. if you just looked outside of yep. the US. <laughs> it is so... It's the same. It's like, I love Bollywood movies, and there's all this stuff out there that's like a Regency, except in Bollywood. You know, it's like, like you said, those tropes, they totally work. Have you read Sonali Dev's work? I'm yes, assuming you yes, have. I love her. I, I mean, when that first book came out, you're like, see, you can set... <laughs> people in like contemporary settings and it's fine and then you talk about the food they eat and everybody wants to eat <laughs> yeah, it like that's right. food is the key. i think everybody put on like five kilos reading sonali's books <laughs> like, i haven't even heard of this before and i'm gonna try it next time so that book is still far away yeah yeah so i have to turn in my guild into book and then i'll be working on that one but so i've actually really you just teased us with that i and, know like, i know we I'm... can't even pre-order it at this stage <laughs> it's oh my god you guys are gonna love this book i i have, have cracking myself up when i write parts of it because i've been sort of sneaking in little words in between my other deadlines and then finally um later this year what what major sort of reader author events can people find you at um i'm not actually doing oh well i'm doing two in europe which i'm going to i can't say it because it's a really cool french name but it's it's a convention in paris and it's a reader convention and then in berlin i'm going to love letter you mentioned that one to me yes before. yes i Is go that to, some, I, something you go to i go probably about every couple of years yeah. couple two three years I have uh, probably, after English, German is my biggest market, and um, it's a great conference, you know, it's fun to go, and I get to go to Europe, and so I'm doing those, and then in New Zealand, I'm doing a signing 
in Auckland. So the details of that we'll have as soon as it's finalised, but it's going to be around the release of Ocean Light. And I think that's pretty much everything for this year. Last year I didn't really travel much internationally at all, and that was a conscious decision on my part. I just needed a rest. I got a lot of writing done. Like a lot. <laughs> Surprising. Was, yeah. It was a lot. And I was like, hmm, so maybe, you know, maybe I should stay home a little bit more. So, and I think also I'm getting older. So like, I like one time. No, you, you wouldn't, you couldn't tell. In fact, I think you're a changeling uh, and like you're not going to age. Pretty sure. Oh, okay. Thanks. You're great for my ego. Yeah. No, no. So, um, yeah, at the moment that's, that's all there is. And. I'll be attending the Romance Writers of New Zealand conference and doing a workshop, but yeah. That's all we have time for in this episode. Many thanks to Rudy Bremer, our audio producer, for applying her magic to the show. You can find the show notes for episode 57 at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. This helps other listeners like you find the show. In the next episode, I'll be joined by Bookthingo bloggers Rudy and Gabby for a special hashtag rombooklove episode. So make sure you check out the hashtag on Twitter and join the conversation. In the meantime, please visit us at bookthingo.com.au and have a fabulous fortnight of reading. <laughs>